good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we study the anatomy of stewarding our money. What does the action of stewardship look like? And what does it lead to? And what is the greatest threat to dissolving God's purposes behind his expectations of us for stewardship? We're going to examine a beautiful passage from Paul's letters that will help us see that God himself is the prime agent in our ability to be generous as stewards. Thanks for joining us today as we focus on generous giving as an act of worship. Well, right now my family is down in Green Bay because my sister, who is a basketball coach in Ohio, in Ohio is playing UWGB. We hope that they give them a whooping today. Uh, that's where they're at. We, uh, Emily and I and the kids were down there uh, yesterday visiting with family, and it reminded me of another time that we were in Green Bay because I don't know if you, uh, uh, like me, when you get a chance to go to the big city, like to go eat at Chick-fil-A. Anybody? Anybody with me or just me? So we, we're, we go to Chick-fil-A, and as uh, rare as a treat and opportunity as it is, uh, my son gets like their you know, number one just plain old chicken sandwich, and they have this special sauce at Chick-fil-A. Some of you know what I'm talking about, Chick-fil-A sauce. It's like a barbecue mayonnaise. I mean, it's just awesome. And so he's, he's taking this, and he is just like an artisan, just putting it over every little inch of this chicken, and the whole thing is almost glistening. I hear angels starting to sing <laughs> as he's got this burger. And right as he, he's putting it together, um, Sadie, uh, who is on a bit of a growth spurt, she looks over and she says, can I have a bite? Oh, man. Now, you know how this goes. Now, usually, uh, I am just um, of the persuasion. I, I, I have my little daughter. She, she has me wrapped around her finger. I'll give her whatever she wants when she asks with those puppy dog eyes. But that's part of the importance of a family learning to share. And Micah says to Sadie, no. And I said, Micah, you're going to share. And so he reluctantly pushed it aside. And Sadie picked it up. And like you'd expect for a little sister took the biggest bite that she could. None of you have siblings? You know what this is like when you're siblings? Felt, felt a little bad for that. But uh, bad, for, bad for Micah on that. But he, he was a good sport. And uh, just to see how he is trying to pattern uh, this difficult thing between siblings, but even learning to share what's his with someone else. It's hard to do, isn't, is it not? Come on, be honest. Isn't it hard to kind of give up what you've prepared for you, what I worked for for so long, and now I have to, I have to give that up to someone else? Um, th- this, is a, this is a key element of transformation that God wants to work in your hearts as you come to learn and know who Jesus is. That you and I become less attached to those things that we claim as ours, and we become very In fact, freely willing to be generous with those things. Um, Knowing that God is the one ultimately who provided them for us. And if it's God who provided them for us, then we have freedom to be able to provide and share those with others. I was proud of that with my son, even though it was hard for him. Because that's what I try to model. And so to see him attempting as well to try to do that, even though it took a little reluctance. And even in the face of Sadie's giant bite... um, (laughs) I am proud of him for that. I want to do a little bit of review here as we're um, continuing forward now in our series on stewardship. The issue is understanding that you are not owners of any of it. 
so we, we, hopefully you've heard me say that enough. I'm, I'm hoping that is working its way through your mind and your heart to know it doesn't belong to me. God's entrusted it to me. It's all his. And as we've looked through these three valueless treasures, uh, treasures that God's entrusted to us, but to which he defines value of our time, of our energy that we're using as, as the work that we do, and as our money, that what we're learning is that when it comes to our time, um, how much of your life uh, belongs to God? How much of it? Now, the right answer here is all of it. Um, how much of your work that you do and the energy you've been given, how much of that belongs to God? All of it. Here's the tough one. You ready? How about your money? How much of your money belongs to God? All of it does. Um, uh, there's a word that I want to offer you to, to you for this. Uh, it's not in your notes. It's worth writing down, though. How do we steward money? And it's, I like this word, reconciliation. I'm not using it in the theological sense that we're reconciled unto God. I'm using it in the checkbook sense. You ever remember the days before online banking? Anyone? You had to, I, I can remember seeing my mom at the kitchen table. She got the bank statement out. She got the checkbook sitting right next to her. And what she's doing? What is she doing? She is she's balancing or reconciling the checkbook. And, and what, you, what you're doing there is you're trying to make sure that all of the funds, wherever they came from, are accounted for where they went. And so this is what we need to learn to do. We need to learn where do our funds come from? And the answer is all money is God's money. Some of you are like, sounds like a preacher. Always talking about money. This is true. This is not just true for you. This is not just true for me. This is true for everybody, whether they recognize it or not. We need to reconcile our bank accounts. And by doing so, remembering that they belong to God. And he's entrusted you with what you have for now to steward it, to manage it, and to use it in such a fashion that it extends and expands his glory and not yours. And this is, a, it's, it's tough when we talk about money. I was, um, I was mentioning this to my aunt while we were down in town and she was like, yeah, you're always hearing that from preachers, always asking for money. It's going to be a tough one. She said she'd pray for me, so we'll be all right. <laughs> what if it's the case? Just go with me on this. What if it's the case that when God looks at your bank account, that he sees how everything is used? What if that's the case? There, there's no ability for us to secretly squirrel some away over here or use it in this fashion without God seeing it all. Uh, just show of hands, are you familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts? Have you heard this one? I see a few hands. Just to recount it for you, the early church here is gathering funds primarily because as you belong to a family, there's mutual contribution. And so everybody, as they are coming to Christ, they're realizing we have more than we need. Here are some who don't. And so they would sell what they weren't using. They would sell property and they would bring it to the apostles who would then distribute it to all those who had need. Except there was this one husband and wife who had this pretty expensive plot of land. And as they sold it, they took half of it and they kept it secretly themselves. Now, I don't want you to think that holding on to money is the error that is, is at fault here. It's not that God wants you today to go off and sell all you got. That's not the point of it. The problem was when they came to present it to the apostles, they made it look like they were bringing all of it. But who saw? Who knew? 
God saw. God knew. Uh, This passage from Philippians chapter 4, Paul receives a gift from the church in Philippi. He says, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desired your gifts. Watch this. What I desire is that more would be credited to your account. What's Paul talking about here? Who's, who's keeping account of the church in Philippi? Do you know who it is? God. He's, he's seeing every one of those gifts that's being sent out. Or this passage from Matthew 6. You'd be familiar with it. This is Jesus. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Everybody get it? This is the truth when it comes to money. All money is what? Yeah, we need to reconcile our money in that way. We need to make sure we see it that way. And when we do, it'll help transform then how we steward it. So I got a little test for you. Uh, what if you earned $1,000 from working? Whose money is that? Good. All right. A plus across the board. Here's a tougher one. What if you inherited $40,000 from your parents? Now whose money is that? Yeah, that's still God's money. All right, one more. What if grandma gave you $5 for your birthday? <laughs> Whose money is that? That's money. No, no, no. That's God's money as well. Interesting, though, how we think of it. Isn't it easy for us to try to, like, chop things up and be like, well, this isn't taxable, or I paid tax. You know what I mean? Isn't it funny how we try to play these tricks of rationalization with money? Wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't it just be more simple if we took all of our possessions, all of our wealth, submitted it all to God, and let him be the one that helps us know how we are to steward it? I want to make sure, again, that you're not mishearing me. I'm not saying that the height of righteousness is that you go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. The reason why that shows up in our scriptures for the rich young ruler is because Jesus was trying to manifest how he didn't keep the law. If you remember that story, he says, I've done all these things. I've kept the whole law. What do I lack? Well, it turned out he was only fooling himself because truly he had a false idol and it was his what? It was his money. And Jesus was revealing that because he went away sad because he had great wealth. Wouldn't it be simpler if when we thought of all of the resources entrusted to us, we really just thought of them as belonging to God? And it's with that spirit in mind that I want us to look at the anatomy here of how the scriptures present money. So uh, this is our second lap through these uh, three areas Uh, for the last couple of weeks. This is what we're trying to do. How, How could we dissect the stewardship of money to see how the scriptures relate its Uh, both action, its goal, and then what we need to be cautious of. And so for this morning, uh, the act of stewarding money looks like generosity. That's what it looks like. God has enabled you to work. Yes? He's the one that's giving you that brain. He's the one that's giving you those hands, those, those feet, a strong back. Whatever it is that you uniquely have been crafted to do, that is a gift given by God. He also has provided for your needs so that I would pretty much expect to say there's nobody here who only, only lives paycheck to paycheck, even though I I get it. I know what that feels like. Um, Sometimes our needs go into the realm of wants a little bit, but in budgeting, he does this. God provides for you so that you can be generous. That's what stewarding money looks like. It's the act 
of generosity. Well, what's the goal then? What is, if that's what we're doing while we're stewarding money, we're seeking to be generous, what will that result in? And I had a really hard time just picking one of these because everywhere I looked in Scripture, they go together. This, this was incredible to me. Every time you see money as this resource being stewarded as though it all belonged to God and such that his people are generous, do you know what that results in? Every time it results in contentment on behalf of the giver, and it results in thanksgiving on behalf of the one who received. I call it the peanut butter and jelly of stewarding money, right? They go together, contentment and thanksgiving. In fact, I would submit to you, you cannot have one without the other. To be thankful, for you to truly be thankful is for you to be a person who is content in life with what you have. Otherwise, you're in You're only thankful because you got it for a moment. That's false thanksgiving. And thankfulness is that heart posture that enables you to say, he's going to provide for me and I have enough. Contentment and thanksgiving going together. So what's the antithesis of this? What, What is it that takes the resource of stewarding money and destroys it so that it doesn't produce what God's designed it to produce? And you may have guessed it. It's greed. That's what it is. Um, I had a few other words as I was trying to think through how the scriptures present this. I, I thought of how we hoard things for ourselves, right? You guys know, know what that's like, where we're just kind of piling it up for us and only us. Or I had another word, uh, decadence. I thought I'm going to have to explain that one if I use that word. Have you heard that word before, decadence? It, it is turning the use of your money so that it only serves who? Only serves you. More for me. And in both of the sides of the road, either ditch, whether that's amassing more than you need or having enough money to spend beyond what you need, they're both rooted in greed. That's where they come from. And so wherever greed shows up, it will cut short the work of stewarding because you will not be generous. And where generosity is not an act of stewarding money, you're going to lose contentment. And we will lose thanksgiving. Are we we tracking with this? Everybody sees it? I got this passage here from 1 Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be... What's it say, church? This will ruin your day right here. Because do you know what it didn't say? It didn't say, uh, but if we have that Toyota pickup truck that I like... And that fishing pole that I have my eye on, right? And that new rifle that I've been polishing, right? That's not what it said, right? It didn't say I got the new um, best refrigerator with that door that see-through that connects to the internet. You guys know the stainless steel I'm talking about? You've all eyed it up too. I know you want that one, right? Do you see the point in here? Try, try this on for size, church, because this has been ruining my week. Food and clothing. Food and clothing. Food and clothing. Jesus will even tell those who want to follow after him, he'll, he'll say, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Like foxes have dens and, and, and holes to live in, these houses, right? But if you really want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you might have to be willing to let go of so many of these other things. If you read in Matthew chapter 6, as he's talking about worry, do you know what people worried about in, in Jesus' day? What are we going to? And what am I going to? 
Yeah, he said, why do you worry about these things? Look at the sparrows. God takes care of them. Look at the flowers. They're beautiful. God takes care of them. What do we worry about today? Do you see how far beyond we've gone from food and clothing? Now, I got a whole sermon to preach after this, but this, I kind of feel like this is enough. Is everybody with me? Like, I'm kind of done at this point, Pastor. Thank you. I'm full, right? Because I need to give some serious and prayer and thought to the way in which greed has worked its way like an infestation in the garden of God's crop that I need to pull weeds because it's going gonna, it's gonna to cut short the fruit of contentment in my life. Because as the world tells you, you never have enough. And you can always upgrade and get more. And I have been fooled. I have been fooled at this. I don't know about you. I bet you too, though. So this, this for me, I think, is, is humbling enough for us to work through. Thankfully, we have a, another passage that we're going to spend our time in. Um, this is 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, a passage that I have both taught and studied for years. But this week, my study through it has just been a blessing. I'm so excited to share it with you this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is Paul's last letter, his fourth letter to the church. As he is making amends for some difficulties that have happened, he now is going to turn and and impress upon them his praise for their behavior. Because it's the Corinthian church that here is eager to give to the work of God. Uh, There are saints who are in need. Corinthians chapter 9, if I didn't say that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, there are saints who are in need, and this church is saying, all right, pass the plate around. Let's go. Who, who, who can give? And like, I can give, and they're excited to give. That's what's going on here. Uh, we're going to read in verse 6 through 15, just finishing chapter 9. Starting in verse 6, Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it's written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All right, this is a a, um, bit of a benediction, uh, the conclusion here at Paul's letter, uh, describing, and for us today, some very important principles 
observations and conclusions that we can find when it comes to giving. I'd like to highlight those for you quickly this morning. The first is this. God expects us to steward money. He expects us to do it. And here's why. God has built something into the property of money that he has built into the rest of his design. When I first saw this, it, it blew me away. It still blows me away. The illustration that we're, we're given here at the beginning of chapter 6. Did you catch what it is? Whoever or what? Help me out. What's it say here? Verse 6. Whoever is... What's sewing mean? Like a, like a knitter? What are we talking about here? Planting a... Yeah, a field. Planting a garden. That, that's what we're referring to here. When Paul is going to help the church to understand this unique property that comes into money, do you know what he's going to choose? He's going to choose agriculture as an example. Seeds and harvest. That's the example he's going to use. And here's why. If you look back in Genesis, and we heard this from uh, Lois's reading this morning. God did a miracle. And you're like, duh, pastor, he made everything. Wasn't that a miracle? But there's something awesome that he did on day three. Day three comes with a bonus miracle. Did you know that? Day three, God said, I want, the, I want the dry land to appear in the midst of the waters, right? So that's the first part of day three. Like now we have land everywhere. And then God and before he says that everything's good, and this was day three, before he closes the chapter on day three, he says, let me show you one other amazing thing. He said, let the land produce vegetation, not just any kind, but seed bearing plants. I'm not the only one who needs to nerd out on this this morning. This blew my mind when I understood it. Here's here's part of the reason why. If you look at our universe, everything is controlled by entropy. Do you know what entropy is? Entropy is kind of a physics term. It means a running down of that which has a potential use for it. It means everything is going from a nice orderly way to be useful All energy is being run down towards disorder and uselessness. But you know what God did right here? He flipped it right around. Because a seed will go into the ground and it will produce a plant that will produce many more seeds. That that has blown my mind. It's incredible. God designed it so that the harvest will actually continue to reproduce more and more. Nowhere, when physicists look, astronomers look, anywhere else in our universe, everything else is running down. That's it. Everything else is going from useful to useless. But God on day three worked another special miracle. And this is the idea that's now communicated to us with money. Money works the same way, just like the, just like the plants were designed to here. And this isn't the only place God did it. If it wasn't enough for us to see it in one place, look at Isaiah 55. Watch this one. He's going to show us three of them here. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. Do you, do you see what he did? He put a water cycle in on this planet. That's probably day three as well, don't you think? Right? Dry ground, land, plants. The waters, they fall as rain. And do they stop there? No. They continue and they bring with them more life. I can see some of you are a little bit like, I don't know if I like this as much as you do, Pastor. That's okay. That's okay. Look at the next one. Example again. So that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. This is a helpful way for us to think about money because all the money that God's entrusted to you, it's either seed to be planted 
or it's bread to be eaten. It's one or the other. All of the money that God's entrusted to you is either to be used to reinvest somewhere else and see it continue to produce more than it started with, or it's for you to grind up, use, and enjoy in this life. It's either seed or it's bread. Now, in our context here, Isaiah is using this to talk about the third amazing part of this anti-entropy, which is God's word, right? So it is with my word. It goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire to achieve, the purpose for which I've sent. I, I want you to see that when it comes to our observation of God's stewarding, uh, or God's command for us to steward money, he expects us to do it because he's designed it this way. All right, hopefully you're with me. Number two is this. The how and the why for when you give are more important than the who, what, and where. This one is worth spending time on, but I just want to really make sure that you guys understand this. When we're talking about stewarding our money in generosity, it matters so much less where you give it than as to why you're giving it. Look with me back into our text this morning. Look at verse seven. He says, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a, what's it say? God loves a cheerful giver. In fact, if you were to look up in verse five, he says something similar. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance to furnish the arrangements for the generous gift that you would promise. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. And you have kids and you tell them, uh, hey, you got to go shovel, take out the trash. Now I bet your kids are perfect little angels. But every now and then I get one of these, oh, fine. Right? It, it, come on. What? That's not what I want to see. Like, I can do the work myself, right, as a parent. Here it is, in involving you in part of the stewarding of responsibility in the home. How important, parents, how, imp- how important is attitude to you? What do you think, right? I, I, I want to say it is as important or more to God. In fact, this is a key, critical, this is so critical, this understanding. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13. We heard it already from Rosanna, but this is a little earlier in the chapter. Um, If I give all I possess to the poor, oh, oh, where did I go? You gave all you possess to the poor, right? And give my body to hardship that I I may boast, but if I don't have what? What what do you get? Nothing. 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 The how you go about giving. The, the why I'm giving is so much more important than the where and the who and the when you're giving. Is everybody with me on this one? Um, I, I'll spare you the longer details. Book of Malachi, I'd love to read the whole passage for you. Uh, people were bringing offerings to God, but you know what they were bringing? They're bringing their leftovers. These, these lambs they're bringing, it was like the cripple lamb, the, the one that they couldn't use for anything. They'll give that one to the church. They'll use it. That's fine. Right? So that's what they're bringing. And do you know what God says to the Jews in Malachi? He says, shut the doors, you guys. Just shut them. Stop bringing me your rubbish. Stop bringing me your leftovers. I don't, God said, I don't need your money. I want your heart. That's what matters to me. You guys with me on this one? Right? The, the how and the why you give are more important than the who, what, and the where. Number three, God's going to provide for you to give. God is going to provide for you 
so that you can give. I invite you to look with me back into the text again. Verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Pay attention to this word, so that. Do you see that in your Bible? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that at all things, at all times, having all you need, you will be able to abound in every good work. If you jump down to verse 11, look at this one. It's telling us the same thing. You will be made rich. Uh, There's an updated version that says you will be enriched. I like that one better. Uh, You you will be enriched in everything that that you have in every way. Do you see the so that? Don't miss this one. So that you can be generous. Um, I don't, I don't know if Sarah Adams is here today so I can talk about her without getting in trouble. Um, any of you who know Sarah, uh, in the last couple of years, she's put together this garden. Do you guys know about this garden? Um, uh, you should see my garden. It is pathetic. <laughs> I am feeding the deer. That's all I'm doing with my garden. So I go visit her garden, and it's like the Garden of Eden. It's incredible. Like, she's got these tall fences so the deer don't get in there. And you know what? The, the normal-sized plants are ab- above the fences. Like, it's incredible. And do you know what Sarah does with all that good, yummy food? She gives it away. She shares it. God is able. God is able to give to you so that you can give to others. I want to make sure everybody understands this because when it comes to being generous, so many times we have been deceived by the devil to think, well, it's mine. And if I give it away, then I'm not going to have enough, right? We have this fear that's there. And I want you to see that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says God's the one who will provide for you. He will allow you so that you can be generous in what you have to give it away. All right, number four. Uh, This one is another biggie. I got to press on this one for a minute stewarded giving. So so I don't want to talk about just giving itself. We're talking about a biblical form of stewardship. So this isn't Bill Gates and philanthropy. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about a specifically minded, right? The right heart. I'm doing this for the right reasons. We're calling that stewarded giving is evidence of God's transforming work in your life. It's evidence of transformation. It's evidence of righteousness. Look with me again in the text. Paul quotes Psalm 112 in verse 9. He says, He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Here's the idea. This is a rich man we're talking about in Psalm 112. He takes his riches and he gives them away freely to those who don't have any. And every single person who receives looks back at the generosity of this rich man and says, he's doing it because he fears God. He's doing it because he loves God. And that is the extension, expansion of righteousness to be seen. If it wasn't enough for you to see it quoted, I want to point out one other thing to you in verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply your inc- and increase your store of seed. By the way, to, to get an increase of store of seed, what do you first need? It's actually harvest. Like, but before you get more seed, you actually get more fruit. So God, what they're saying is God will be blessing you with more fruit that you'll be able to turn into more what? Seed. And as you use it as seed to invest in the work of God, pay attention to the end of verse 10. And will enlarge the harvest of your... Doesn't say checking account. Pay attention to that. I got, I got to make sure I clear up something a bunch of crummy preachers have messed up over the years. 
when you sow a seed, that is not going to mean that you've now invested in heaven's income. And, and for a limited time, you can for only... The Bible has very strict words about those preachers. That they will receive what they have been sowing on this earth and by God's judgment. So understand, the text does not say, I will enlarge the harvest of your checking account. I will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And so when you and I give, the reason we are giving is so that we are demonstrating God's transforming work in our life. We don't get the credit for it. Who does? God's getting the credit for it. And so the more generous I am to steward it correctly, the more evidential or obvious or plain to see is the transforming work of God in my life. Maybe you know someone like this. Maybe there's been someone who you knew used to be very stingy, afraid to spend any money, and then coming to faith in Jesus has transformed them to now that they're like just loving to help everybody. How can I help you? How can I serve you? That is a work not of you. That is a work of God. And so I want to just clear up something here and a couple things. What stewarding is not? It's not a way to increase your own cash, right? Uh, Those who think godliness is a means to financial gain have wandered from the truth. That's not how it works. So it's not a way to increase your cash. It's not for worldly prosperity. You get more buildings, brands, and stocks, and bonds. It's also, and this is a critical one, it's not a way to cajole God into doing what you want. Again, these preachers have, they, they really got some judgment coming to them because shame on anyone who would say, the reason why God does not answer your prayer is because you haven't paid me. Man, makes me want to take a different job. (laughs) There's no version of stewarding our money correctly that brings glory to you. No, no, no. You instead are manifesting the righteousness of God, the transforming work of God in you because now I used, to, I used to be stingy, but now I'm generous. I used to be fearful to use my money, but now I fear God more than that. Are you with me on this? Give me an amen if you're with me. All right, th- this last quote here, this is from a commentary in 2 Corinthians. This is a really good way to think about it. Uh, Those who give generously to the needy should know that their charitable act is a part of that larger righteousness of God by which they themselves live and in which they shall remain forever. It's just a part of it. Being generous with the stewarding of money is the righteousness of God being demonstrated through your life and mine. All right, number five, I'll move quickly through these. Uh, Stewarded giving must be modeled after God himself. Uh, There's a really important theme through the book of 2 Corinthians uh, where there's this, this cycle. In a few places, it shows up. It's a theme that Paul uses. Because God did this for you, you do this for others. That's the theme. It shows up real early on. This in chapter 1, he says, and you might be familiar with this passage, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. Does, does God comfort you in your troubles, yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Do you know why he does that? Look at this. So that you can what? Comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. I I appreciate Bruce's prayer request this morning, right? I mean, to see how that has worked its way in your heart causes me to think, wow, that's not my story right now. God's taking taking care of me right now. He's comforting me. I can therefore now bring that comfort and deliver it to somebody else. So make sure that we understand this is also God's design when it comes to giving. Because God gave to you... 
He expects you, you get it, right, to be generous. Generosity is um, it's modeled after God himself. Number six, God, this one's awesome. God wants to use you in his provision for others. That, that one also floors me when I think of it. Um, sometimes I think we have this perception of God that as long as I pray for it, God's just going to sprinkle fairy dust over it and just take care of it. And that's not how God works. God wants to use you. And so look with me back in the text in a couple of places. Look with me in verse 8. Uh, he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need. Do you see that? So God's starting with who? Starting with you, right? Put your oxygen mask on first so that you then can help someone else. Jump down, though, in verse 11. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of who this time? It's not you anymore. So, so we, we have need mentioned in verse 8, and it's your need. And now we have need mentioned again in verse 12, but now it's their needs. Do you, do you see it? God supplied you so that you can supply them. I think about how um, my son got the chicken sandwich. Do you know how he got it? He got it from my wife. Because she had money. Do you know where she got the money? She got it from me. Do you know where I got the money? I got it from you. So, so you, you, it's your fault Sadie took such a big bite. That's what I'm trying to say. Do you see how God designed this? He's made it so that as one, one is blessed, that that begins to trickle down because God desires to use you and I for helping to provide what others need. Some of you are like, I know, I get it. That's obvious. But for me, that's just, that's just amazing to think that God would want to use me. I don't know if, if that blows you away today, but for me, that, that's just, it's like, wow. I need to make sure that I, therefore, am in tune with God because if he's going to use me, that literally depends on me making sure that I know what he wants me to do. Amen? You kind of get, you get where this falls. So, all right, we'll move on. Generosity leads to thanksgiving and contentment. Uh, towards the end here, if you look down in verse, uh, t- starting in verse 12, uh, actually it's the end of verse 11, he says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to not me. <coughs> thanksgiving to God. I want you to see where contentment shows up in verse 12. Uh, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people. Do you remember what it was that we said contentment was defined by? Food and clothing, right? I have what I need. Keep reading. Look at this. Of God's people, but it'll also overflow in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service for which you have proved yourselves, men will Praise God. If you look at the very end, verse 15, thanks be. I hope you see I'm not reaching for this. Like this is exactly what the text says generosity produces. It will result in thanksgiving and contentment. And this one I love. I hope you've heard this before. You cannot outgive God. And do you know how I know that? Because God's designed the anti-entropic principle of money. Those who sow sparingly reap sparingly. But those who sow generously 
reap generously. Go ahead, try it sometime. I dare you. See if you could outgive God. He's de- it's like physics. He's designed it that way. And I want to put an important caveat in here. As long as you're doing it the right way, as long as you're not trying to cajole God or form your own righteousness, look how, look how good I am. Check this check out. Look at everybody before I put... Like, no, no, that's not what we're doing. Like, as long as you're doing this the right way, I want you to know God's designed it so you cannot outgive him. Uh, just a, a few points of application to wrap up this morning. Um, who thinks they know what my first one is? Thanks, good, we're catching on. We're catching on, put God first. I want, I want to say this too. Um, every time we get together, I don't know if you've noticed, there's about three applications for you to take home. Isn't that a coincidence? Every verse in the Bible has three applications. I, I want you to know that's, that's not how it works. There's about a million applications for God's word, right? Um, uh, w- w- what I'm wanting to do as a shepherd is to make sure that those of us here and where we're at and God's work in our life, that I'm trying to point us in the right direction on this. And I, I think usually if I just give you one, uh, that's good, but there's a little bit more. Two's not always enough. Three's about all you can handle. So that's why, okay, if you're wondering why there's always three applications, try not to go more than that. I want you to know a little secret this morning. There's only one. I have three. It's really only one. Put God first. When it comes to your money, just put God first. It's all his anyways. When, when you and I think of what it means to put God first, Somebody is going to say thank you to you because you're generous. If you're doing this, if I put God first and I give, and that person says thank you, do you know what you should say? Say, you're welcome. You say that. You say, you're welcome. But don't take credit for it. You use that moment to say, I'm doing this, and I gave this to you because God has given me more than I need. This is a blessing for me to give. If this is somebody you know in the church family, they're going to nod along there and say, amen, I'm going to do the same thing. If this is a non-Christian, if this is somebody that God has put on your heart to just serve in this fashion, you now have an opportunity to share with them what it means to put God first. What, tell me what it is. What has God done for you? And this moves to the second part of how to do this, which is be generous as God has been generous. And so let me ask you a question this morning. Has God been generous to you? Uh, there, there is a supporter friend of mine from college that when Emily and I were missionaries, he gave, he and his, his wife, they gave us more than anybody else, even more than some churches. And I did not thank him often enough. And this was a few months ago. I thought, you know, I just need to, I need to just thank him again for all that. So I, I wrote him this, what, what I felt like was a really nice thank you note email, because <laughs> that's how you send thank you notes today if you're a millennial. So I sent him, him this, and he replied back with this. And it just, it kind of floored me. He said, it's not mine anyways. It all belongs to God. Amen. God has been generous to him. He's stewarding it by reconciling it's all God's. And that makes it easy to give freely. And do you know what God wants to do for a person like that? God wants to continue to fill up their storage of seed because it's flowing through them. And so I want to give you kind of a closing illustration to think of this. Um, if, you, if you eat a lot of food, but it doesn't flow through you, <laughs> right? Like, that's not how it's supposed to work. This is a good illustration. You're going to remember this when you leave here. Go, 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 go the step further. Let, let's say that you deposited it in the bathroom, right? And, and now the pipes are taking it away. What happens if, the, if it gets clogged up there? 
right? You don't keep using it. Yeah, you remember it. <laughs> Pastor, are you saying money is like poo? Yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying. Look, if your money sits around too long with you, it's going to start to stink. It really is. You're going you're gonna to need to distance yourself from it. Um, but j- just think of that same illustration. If it's flowing, right? If, if that's what's happening in your life, that's how it's made to work. That's how God wants to use the money and resources in your life. And when you do this, when you are generous with these things, do you know who you look like? You look like God himself. And I want to encourage you, make giving generously a component of your worship. Because you are therefore then giving reflection of the God who is generous to you because I'm acting like him. We're at Chick-fil-A. We're done with the sandwich. Now Sadie's thirsty. (laughs) Micah has discovered they have this drink there called a frosted lemonade. It's awesome, by the way. I had one. It's fantastic. Well, Sadie asks me if she can have a drink. And you know what my son did? He, without, without me having, he, he just gave her his frosted lemonade, which was like a special treat for him to get. He gave it freely. He gave it willingly. And what do you think, is, what do you think Micah's father felt in that moment? Right? Because now he looks like me. That's, that's what I am trying to demonstrate. Church, you can worship God in giving. You can do it. It can be part of a regular occurrence of, of how you give. I know most of you do. I'm preaching to the choir a lot. This is a very generous and a giving church. I want us to hold on to these principles, making sure that we never become enslaved to money, knowing that all money is God's money. Okay, let's pray together this morning.